This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Lionshare hosted a track called The Holy Spirit and Transformation. In fact, that's where the recorded audio for today's episode came from. Dave Beering led this track for Lionshare's team, and he has written a great four-page summary of his core teaching on transformation. This PDF is called The Process of Transformation, and it's available for free through discipleship.org. Make sure to go online and download this free PDF at discipleship.org slash lionshare. That's lionshare, L-I-O-N-S-H-A-R-E, discipleship.org slash lionshare. And now for the track session. So are we good today? So let me ask that again. Are we good today? All right, so I'm Dave Buring, and this is um, uh, the Lion Share track where we, so I just want to make sure you're in the right track where we show you how to disciple four-legged animals. Is that, is that what you've signed up for? Yeah, all right. So this is actually the track on the Holy Spirit of Disciple Makers Guide, just so you know you're, you're in the right place. So let me find out uh, today, where are you guys from? How many of you are Tennesseans? Oh, nice. All right. How many of you are from what other states? Just shout them out. Texas, Georgia, Georgia, Ohio, Ohio, Alabama, Alabama, California, California, North Carolina, South Carolina. Carolina. (laughs) Are you a Packer fan? I'm from Minnesota originally, so we're in the same division. We'll find unity. We're in the same division. All right. Where else? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Illinois, Arkansas, Kentucky, Florida, anywhere else? Michigan, Indiana, Rhode Island. Which side of Kansas City? Kansas, all right. Anybody else? Internationals? No? Okay. Where are you from? Very good, welcome. Did you come over just for this? Wow, just for this class. Yeah, that's right. Nice. No expectations, though. All right. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're here. And let's, uh, let's start in prayer. All right. Lord, we thank you so much for your hand on our lives. We recognize that you have been leading and you've been guiding. And Lord, we want you to know that we recognize that. And Lord, we thank you for the people that you've put around us that have spoken into our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for those that you put in our lives that we might lead them into the things of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to be together today. And so, Lord, we just kind of seal this next hour or so off and just ask, Lord, that you would meet us. Lord, thank you for precious ones today in this place that love you, care about you, and care enough about obeying your last command that they're here today. And Lord, we ask that the content of our time together, would you allow this to become something really baked into our souls? Would you allow it to be practical in our lives? Lord, where we need um, our minds to be adjusted, would you do that? Lord, we, we want both our minds to be challenged, our spirits to be uplifted, and our hands to be equipped. And so we ask you, Lord, for those things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
So let me ask a, a one other question before I jump in. So why are you here in this class? I just kind of want to know like what you're looking for. And if you say, I don't really know, it just sounded good. That's fine. All right. But why are you here? A couple of, couple of you tell me, why are you here in this class? You come to the right class then. All right. He said what the role of the Holy Spirit plays in discipleship. That's great. What else? Anybody, anybody else? Okay. How to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance. That's good. And by the way, just so you know, in this room... Tomorrow morning, second session, we're going to actually do a whole class on hearing the voice of God. How do you disciple people to hear God's voice? That's something we'll be talking about too. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the word transformation. That'll be a big part of our time today. Yes, sir. Also, the last one, what are you doing? Yes, yeah, we're going to, yeah. Um, tomorrow, our last session is going to be a live demonstration here of a, a discipleship group. Like, how do you actually lead a group of people? Um, into obeying Jesus. So we're going to demonstrate that for you tomorrow. So anybody else? Yeah, that's good. It takes a lot of weight off when you stop overestimating your own part. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. Well, that's great. So it sounds like you're in the right place. George, does it sound like they're in the right place? He gives the thumbs up back there. George, if you haven't had an opportunity to meet George yet, George, just stand so they see your face. George is one of our Lion's Share team members. He's a business guy in Pittsburgh, and he is a disciple-making machine. All right. George is constantly looking to pour his life into other people. And uh, when we go to George's church, Kent, who you'll meet as well, Kent is just turned 40. So when Kent was about 34, George, and you were late 50s, so I poured into Kent for, I don't know, a dozen years at that point, and then Kent poured into George, who was 20-some years his senior, and now George is pouring into others. So when I go to their church, in Pittsburgh, it's always fun because, hey, let's do a picture. And first it was like me and Kent and George, three generations. Then it was me, Kent, George, and I think it was Luke, right? It was four generations. And then there was a fifth guy the next time who I didn't even know. And I think we could go six now, maybe, George? So discipling six generations deep. And so one of the things that is a big part of our heart is um, challenging people to disciple four generations deep. And I'll tell you why that got in my own heart. So... Uh, I'm 58 years old, so 40 years ago, I joined Youth with a Mission out of high school, YWAM. It's the largest missions organization in the world now. And, and uh, so I'm there, I'm going through training. When I was about 20 years of age, um, I had Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, invited me to do some traveling with him. It was just kind of helping. I went to L.A. and Christ for the Nations in Washington, D.C., and I was kind of the guy of, after Lauren was done speaking, if you want to know more about YWAM, see this guy. So I'm there with you know, Mr. Brochures, if you remember, in the mid-'80s. And um, so traveling with him gave me opportunity just to listen and to learn. Lauren would be kind of like, if you don't know Lauren, he would be like uh, as Billy Graham is to the world of evangelism, Lauren would be to the world of missions. And um, so we're, you know, on the plane one day and I'm 20. And he says, so Dave, what do you think your gifts are? And, you know, at 20 years old, you know, you're kind of fudging it and guessing and And I say a couple things, and Lauren says to me, he said, Dave, it doesn't matter how big the groups are that you will lead or the size of the groups that you will teach. The way that God will measure the fruitfulness of your life is have you invested to the third and fourth generation. And ever since that moment for me, that's marked my life. And it's really the only way I can measure fruit. And so what I mean by that is what I just shared with with you about George, is have you invested in someone's life that they in turn have poured into someone else. That, then you've got three generations. And if you go one more, and that's 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul invested in Timothy, second generation. 
who invested in faithful ones, third generation, who invested in others, four generations. So that's our scriptural foundation for discipling four generations deep. So today what I want to do is I just want to talk to you about the role of the Holy Spirit in disciple making. And uh, it's something I think we oftentimes don't pause to think about, but here's the deal. He's the disciple maker. We partner with him. All right, so we, we are disciple makers, but we partner with him. He's in, he's in lead and we follow his lead. And that's something that's really, really important. And it takes the weight off of us. It's not your problems to fix, not your person to change. It's your person to teach them how to obey Jesus. Okay? So you, you might be familiar with this portion of Scripture here. John chapter 16, uh, verses 7, 13, and 14. And by the way, let me just say this to you now. Um, we'll uh, uh, info at lionshare.org if you would like this PowerPoint. Okay, info at lionshare.org, because I'm going to go through this, and some of you are going to go, can you go back to that slide? And I'll say, no, i got to keep moving. But if you, if you want this, just for your own personal stuff, not so that you go on the road with it in three weeks, all right? But if you, if you want this for your own personal study, and own pers- we're happy as Lionshare to send this to you, okay? So info at lionshare.org, and Darren right here will take care of that for you. We'll make sure you get this, okay? So you're familiar with this portion of Scripture, John 16. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, how the disciples would have heard that? Probably like, what? Are you kidding? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes to you, now notice this, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will glorify me, for he will take what, take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit here is our guide. And so he's our guide in everything, our guide into truth and guiding other people into truth, which is where disciple-making comes in. Okay, I want to just show you an image here. This is uh, for us within Lionshare, kind of how we look at things. Now, we came to this going through the book of Matthew. And just reading through the book of Matthew, we found a pattern. Now, this isn't a magic bullet or the way it should be. It's just a pattern that we noticed of Jesus' disciple-making. That there are four key ingredients here. There's a commitment to uh, scriptural truth. All right, where Jesus made sure that they understood the truth. Part of disciple-making is imparting that truth piece. So teaching is part of discipleship, but if we stop there, we're missing pieces. All right? A second piece is a context of community. This was done in relationships. All right? Jesus had 12, and he did it in a context of relationships. I had someone one time tell me, you know, I've discipled myself. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you know, I've just been faithful every morning being in the Word. I said, well, that's, you've been faithful, but that's not, you've not been discipled. Because discipleship always has to do with somebody else helping impart things into your life. Okay, we, in other words, you can't be a lone ranger. It's others speaking into your life. Or you speaking into someone else's. A third piece is a culture of obeying Jesus. So I, my friend Jack Minton, who runs a disaster relief organization called Hope Force, that Lionshare actually offices with right down the road here, And um, Jack says this about culture. He says, culture is what most of the people do most of the time. So think about that. So when you go to Mexico and you get into a certain time of the afternoon, our dear Mexican brothers and sisters, it's just, it's wonderful. It's time out, a siesta time. All right. And everybody does it. It's at why? It's a part of the culture. Okay. Here, usually the first Sunday of February, there is about somewhere upwards of 70% of our country that watches this little thing called the Super Bowl. That's part of our culture. 
All right. So how do you define culture? It's what most of the people do most of the time. Now, let me ask you a question. The people in your life that you invest in, for those of you that are pastors, your church, what is your church's culture? Is it a culture where we know when to show up, on what day, wearing what kind of clothes, and at what time? Or is it a culture of obeying Jesus? Is the norm a culture where the discussion is, so, hey, Darren, what's the Lord showing you? Da, 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 da. He's talking to me about the poor in our city. So what's the Lord showing you to do about that? And the next time I see Darren, it's, hey, how's that going? Oh, man, we started an outreach right in the inner city of our town. And See, it's a culture where the norm is obeying Jesus. It's not information. It's transformation. All right? And we're going to get to a little bit more of that. Um, and the fourth one here is a charge to reproduce. I see this, this one here, a culture of obeying Jesus is the missing piece. I see this when a charge to reproduce is the neglected piece. I happen to believe that our country is in the condition it is in because we've disobeyed the last command of Jesus. We don't have government leaders, uh, military leaders, uh, athletes, entertainers, as many that know Jesus and follow Jesus as a disciple. They might know Jesus and like to sing about him, but when it comes to like, what did the Lord speak to you this morning in your quiet time? What do you mean God's speaking to me? What do you mean quiet time? All right. And because we haven't discipled people, we thought it was just supposed to stay in the church. Sonia Beerson, who's here, Sonia, in our next session, is going to be dealing with marketplace discipleship. And we want to show you that Jesus' original plan did not just mean discipling the church. It's discipling the church, meaning people, so that as you go into the world and you find other people that are hungry for Jesus, you begin to pour the things of Jesus into them so they too become reproducible. That's how you change the world. This is called the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's not been pulled back. It's still in play. And as Lauren Cunningham said to me, have you discipled four generations deep? And so again, I want you to think about that today. All right? If this was all done and we were with Jesus in five minutes, would you be going, as you're reflecting on this, like how many people have you reproduced in that are actually reproducing? That's what we're talking about, to make it real practical. And the thing that you're hearing from the platform is we don't feel like disciple-making is done when it's like, okay, I took them through a class. You haven't really become a disciple-maker until the person you've reproduced is reproducing in others. That's the measuring stick. That's a game-changer. That's where in my opportunities to be with the body of Christ around our country, that's the wall I run into a lot. Because people look at me and go, well, I've taught people a lot. I say, well, that's awesome. But have you taught them how to reproduce those things you put in them in others? See, we're not talking about being reproducing the gift of a teacher. We're talking about reproducing the things of God in other people's lives. Through your life, through your personality, through the way you do it. I'm, I'm wired in such a way that I like to do eight to a dozen people or more at a time. Like in a group. Because I figure if I can dump once, then massage it in individually, that's how I like to do it. My wife, Cheryl, she says, I don't want more than two, maybe three. That's a wiring issue. Some of you are maximizers, and let's do, and others of you, hey, I just want that intimate two or three people, and that's all. There's not a right or wrong answer. Jesus had his three, and Jesus had his 12. And let's not get caught up in numbers, but you hear the spirit of what I'm saying. Okay? Well, in the middle of this whole process, look what we have, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is the centerpiece to this whole process. He's the one that the Bible tells us convicts people of truth and guides them into truth. The Holy Spirit's the one that's the center of community. Remember, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are community. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but they are community. All right? We have here Jesus obeying the Father. All right? And the Holy Spirit wants to guide us into that. 
And we have Jesus reproducing disciples. Well, the Holy Spirit's the only one that really knows what's going on in Darren's life. He's the only one that knows. And, the, and, and we're going to show you how do I find out what's going on in Darren's life without controlling, manipulating, conjoling. How do I do that? It's because that's the Holy Spirit's job. But there's a role for you and I as disciple makers to play in that. That's really key. Okay? So, very quickly, I'm going to run through this pretty quickly here. But the Holy Spirit's role in disciple making, I, I just want to give you three things that the Bible teaches us is the role of the Holy Spirit. And again, you're not going to have time to write these all down. All right? So just work with me here. All right? He brings three things. The presence of Jesus is the first one into our lives. He brings the presence of Jesus. You know, when, when we look at uh, the book of Exodus, Moses makes the statement, he says, without your presence, how are we distinguished from the rest of the people on the planet? <coughs> All right? Like, like when you're around people, is there a sense of God's presence could break out of you at any moment? Because when you pray, you pray in faith. Because when you love, you love big, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right? The presence, he brings the presence of, and you'll see here as, as you read those, he gives us certainty of being children of God. It goes all the way through this. Look at that fourth one. He fills us and resides within us. And the fifth one, he's the paraclete. All right, he comes alongside as our helper, guide, comforter, and counselor. So he brings the presence of Jesus into our lives. That's key as a disciple maker. A second one, he brings the likeness of Jesus. Do you understand that according to the book of Romans, that when you give your life to Jesus, the most important thing next to growing in friendship with God on God's calendar is making you more like Jesus. It's not your destiny. It's not you fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. It's first, he says, I need to make you more like my son. Can I just tell you, we fight that one, don't we? But that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit is he's trying to mold us more into the image of Jesus. And I'm going to show you in a moment how he does that. Let me give you a third one here. He brings the power of Jesus in and through our lives. All right, This is something that we need in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want to remind you contextually here, and let me say it to you this way, the book of Acts is not the book of Acts because of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the Holy Spirit coming upon disciple makers. Remember Jesus said to them in Luke, don't, it's like this, I'm playing, don't you dare go do what I've asked you to do out there until you first are empowered by the Spirit, then go do it. We see the result of the power of the Holy Spirit in disciples, that Jesus is a disciple, and that's the result is what we call the book of Acts. Kiddingly, if I could rename the book of Acts, I'd call it the Acts of the Discipled. Because that's what we see. People empowered by God. And so we need to realize that, that it's a prayer often for me when I'm disciple. Holy Spirit, I need your power here. Because I can't change what's going on in this person's life. You've got to do it. You've got it. Would you show me how I can love, how I can serve, how I can pray, how I can help, how I can guide them? But these are three things that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives, and it's something we need to recognize as followers of Jesus. Now, I, I want to I show you something. Both This will be a help to you personally, but also as a disciple maker. We, we see in the Scripture these two terms, grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. Have you seen those before? But oftentimes we don't know what to do with that. Or we, we think that doing certain things or shutting down certain things means we're quenching the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to just show you something really practical. Because once I saw this, it helped me repent. All right? And you want your disciples that you're pouring into to be able to understand when they've grieved and quenched the Spirit. 
All right, so, so let me show you this. So grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The context here is no corrupt talking, putting away bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, malice. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit says no and you say yes. The Holy Spirit says no, I don't want you looking at that. No, I don't want you to open your mouth to rip into that person. No, I'm asking you not to, and you know inside you feel whatever you want to call it, a hesitation, a check inside, something, and you know I'm not supposed to be stepping forward, and you go ahead and be bullheaded like me and do it. We've just grieved the Spirit of God. That's what it means. All right? That's what it means. When the Holy Spirit says no, and we go ahead and do it anyway. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. It literally, it literally means, um, in the original language, to sadden the Spirit of God. Okay, so let me show you this one. Quenching the Holy Spirit says that in 1 Thessalonians 5, not to do it. The context is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit says yes, and you say no. It's when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin and saying, I need you to go make that right with them. You shut it down. Mm -mm. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's telling you, I want you to go on that missions trip Man, I've saved my $1,000 to buy a car. I ain't putting that towards a mission. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. And when I learned this, it freed me. It was, it was like weighty, but it also freed me because it showed me where I can repent. Because there's times in my life I know the Spirit has said no, and I've been bullheaded and stubborn and thought I knew better than God. Now, I know none of you have done that, but just pretend one day if you do, all right? And quenching the Spirit is, you know, when the Holy Spirit's saying, yes, I want you to go share the Lord with that person. And you just shut it down. Okay? This gives me something in my relationship with the Holy Spirit to be able to say, you know, to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I've just grieved you. I've just quenched you. Now, if I was in a normal meeting right now and we weren't moving on to other things, I would shut this meeting down right now and I would just have you see, and I've done this dozens of times say who feels like you've ever in your life quenched your spirit stand up and let's and I lead in a prayer of repentance and my friend Dean Sherman says you don't have to go to lunch with sin in your life all right and I liked it when we when the spirit shows us something it's good to deal with it so we're not going to take time to do that right now but I want to encourage you you don't have to go to bed tonight without dealing with this are you guys following me well and how can you lead others in this if you don't start practicing this okay and so I just, so, so don't get heavied out by it, but just like for me, it's like Holy Spirit, like, like yesterday, uh, Darren, Sonia, uh, we had our lion's share board meeting yesterday, and there was a point in time where we needed to repent for some things, okay? And so during that time, one of our uh, board members said, I think we need to repent for this, all right? Well, had, when the Holy Spirit's saying, yes, this is what I'm asking you to do, had one of us shut that down, we would have just quenched the Holy Spirit, Okay? Are you guys following me? And I want to give this to you because as you disciple people, this is a practical way to help them pay attention to what's going on here because you don't want to walk around in your life. Now, does this mean all of a sudden I'm not saved? No, it doesn't mean that. But there's been times, you guys, I've grieved my wife. Like, like one time uh, we were celebrating her 50th birthday and we were up in a Seattle area, north of Seattle, where my wife is from and we're with her family. I have a habit that when it's a birthday time, because, you know, as a pastor, oftentimes, hey, Dave, would you pray for us? So usually what I say, so look, look, before we pray for this person, let's just take a few minutes and would you affirm them of something, you know, that you care about them, you like about them, or something you appreciate that you can say thank you to them. So Cheryl says to me, honey, 
please don't do that. And the reason was because the environment that she grew up in was not an affirming environment. So we all go out to dinner, we get to the house, and they kind of look at me like, so are you going to leave? This is the birthday cake is about ready to be lit and all this. And I slip into a habit. And I say, and so there's about five or six family members, Cheryl and I there. So just before we, and Cheryl starts giving me the look, and I'm too far into it now. And so I say, so let's just take a moment and affirm Cheryl crickets for 60 seconds. I mean, if I could do that for you right now, and just you guys would feel the awkward moment in the room. And Cheryl's kind of looking. She's got two big dimples. You'll see her at the lion chair booth down there. Two big dimples. She's looking at me, smiling, like, you're going to get it afterwards. You know? <laughs> and finally, someone speaks up and says, well, I'd like to say something. I'm going, yes. And she says this, I just want to tell you how much I like the way you paint your toes. That's all you got? I mean, I'm thinking, that's all you got? What about the character of this woman? You know? Well, needless to say, and Cheryl was very gracious with me, but I grieved her. All right? I grieved her. She had said no, and I went ahead and said yes. So we do this in human relationships, but oftentimes we don't take the time to translate this to the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? And so I just want to encourage you. This is something as you begin to practice this in your life, you can help those that you're discipling. Where like, for example, if you're like, I'm thinking of Keith and Diane as you're discipling couples. And Keith has said to the husband, hey, dude, just this week practice laying your life down for your wife. And he says, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, Keith checks in with him a week later and he had three opportunities, big opportunities, and he didn't do it. You know, his wife will be grieved. And if the Holy Spirit said, this is what I'm asking of you, then it's not just grieving his wife, it's grieving the Spirit of God. So are you with me? I just want you to understand that because for some of you, and, and I say this not lightheartedly, but seriously, this might be one of the most important things that you will hear this weekend for you. I'm not talking about in the whole conference, but because maybe this has been a stuck place for you. And you're wondering, why do I not, and why am I not hearing from God? Why do I, I, the closeness to God is God. Sometimes it's because we've grieved. And if I grieve my wife and I don't take care of that over a span of time, guess what? I no longer feel close to her. You understand me? All right, good. So we know this, this truth of Scripture. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And notice what I've highlighted here. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Disciple making, like if someone asked me, and I'm just in a passing moment with someone, and they say, Dave, if you could give me one sentence, what disciple making is, this is what I say. Disciple making is teaching people how to obey Jesus. That's what disciple making is. It's teaching people how to obey Jesus. Now, let me add one caveat to that. And it's this. It's teaching people how to obey Jesus out of love. Sometimes we've grown up in very rigid, legalistic homes. I was just speaking with someone earlier today who was telling me about an environment like that, that they have a hard time when someone says it's about obeying Jesus because all they hear is, you've got to obey Jesus. And that's how they hear it. But I think if we were with Jesus on the day that he spoke this, I think you have to look at me to see that. I think this is what it would have looked like. If you love me, you'll obey me. The real issue is loving Jesus. Because when you fall in love with him, how can you not help but trust him and follow his lead, which is called obedience. So disciple making (laughs) is teaching people how to obey Jesus. That's what it's that simple. Now, let me show you the process that as an organization we use. And, it's, and just know it's not our process. This is Jesus' process. I'm going to illustrate this to you here in a few minutes. But, but it's called, we call it the process of transformation. 
All right. How does someone actually become transformed? So I had an opportunity to be invited to lunch about three years ago now from another pastor here in town. We had both heard of each other over the years, but had never met. And he was kind enough to introduce me or, or to take me to lunch. And I've learned when someone invites you to lunch and is buying, that's always the will of God. Right. All right. So I walk into Jay Alexander's here in Cool Spring, knowing I'm in the will of God. And um, as we sit and we begin to talk, I knew this guy was going to become a quick friend. And he, he has been. We're going to have lunch here again in a couple weeks. And um, wonderful man, great church, great public communicator, big pastor heart. So we talked for about five, ten minutes. And then he said, can I tell you why I asked to take you out to lunch? I said, sure. And he, he said, um, so Dave, in our church, we teach the word really well. And he said, I could have people from our church come to the table and they could highlight Hebrews. They could give you a complete overview of Romans. And then he dropped his glasses and leaned across the table. And this is what he said, but they're not being transformed. And I winked at him, making a point here. And I just said, well, you know, the devil knows the Bible really well. He's not transformed either. Guys, it's not about our knowledge of the Bible. That's the beginning point. It's about the application of it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he who hears my word, parentheses, obedience, or excuse me, he who hears my word and does it, parentheses, obedience, is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. You know that story. But the premise of the second person is the same. He who hears my word, he heard it. And doesn't do it, parentheses, disobedience, is like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The reason that people aren't transformed is because they're not obeying what God is showing them. Can I just tell you, it's that simple. There's nothing more, nothing less to it. You grow to the degree you're obeying what God is showing you. From the truth, something the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, from someone else, whatever the case may be. All right, so let me show you this process. So, so he asked, what does this look like? And so we drew this thing with my finger on the table, and, and I put here the word transformation. So I said, your end goal, pastor, is transformation. He said, exactly. I want to see people transform. Because he said, we know the word, but here's what he said. My husbands aren't loving their wives any better. People don't care any more about the lost than they used to. When it comes to jumping in to really pray for the nation, nobody's jumping in because they're not being transformed. So one of the things I want you to understand about transformation that I hope frees you is this is God's domain. This is God's job. You, have you ever tried to change somebody before? Some of you are going multitude of times, all right? It doesn't work. Whether it's, you know, your friend, your spouse, your, your neighbor, you try to change them, it doesn't work. Why? Because we don't have the authority given by God to transform anybody. That's God's job. Now, some of you should leave here in this session going, I feel much lighter today, all right? <laughs> Because the reality is, is, is we get stuck in this thinking, I've got to transform. No, it's not your job. But let me show you how good a job God does this in just a very practical way. So the next time you have an apple and you look at an apple seed and you see how little that thing is, realize that that little apple seed has within it transformational power. To not only create another apple, but a tree with multitude of apples. Not only a tree, but an orchard. Not only an orchard, but potentially tens of thousands of orchards, all from this little thing. That's God's transformational power. We see it in people's lives with the testimonies that we've heard. Once I was lost, now I'm found. God, this is God's job. Whose job is this? That was really weak. Whose job is this? This is God's job. I want you to catch that. 
Okay? If we, if we put it in the language that we're talking about today, this is the Holy Spirit's role, transformation. Then we start at the first one, and we use the word revelation. Now, don't freak out with me on revelation, because some of us might think, well, let me explain it to you. Revelation is different than knowledge. Knowledge is something you get on Google. You can put in whatever you want, boom, there's, not, there's information you get from Google. Knowledge you can take into your heart and mind. Revelation is different than that. You can tell when you're having revelation because it's something that comes inside your heart and it demands a response, a choice of either Matthew 7, obeying or disobeying. You can tell when it's revelation. For example, let's just say you have a really bad relationship with your dad and you're sitting in some Father's Day message or something and the Holy Spirit just really shows you you need to get this right with your dad. Okay? Revelation is, um, in the New Testament, it gives the understanding of the pulling, of, pulling back of curtains. Like once I didn't see, now I see. Like a, when you're at a junior high play and someone, you know, calls you to come and you sit over and you're visiting with them and someone flicks the lights and you, you got minutes to kind of sit down, be quiet, this thing's ready to start. And you look at the big curtain up there, 30 seconds beforehand, you have no idea what's back there. 10 seconds, 5 seconds, one second, until it opens, and all of a sudden it's, it's a space shuttle, it's an old western town, it's a Hawaiian island, it's so, and it's like, oh, now I see. That's revelation. And we have gotten stuck with information. Information alone will not transform you. Information is a step, or knowledge can be a step towards transformation. But we can, we can kind of view our spirituality by how much we know. When Jesus says, no, your spirituality is measured by how much you obey. Somebody said this to me a while back. They said, do you understand that Jesus' love language is obedience? That's his love language. I would add in there worship as well, when we worship him. But that's his love language. This is not about God blessing me to do my thing. All right? So, so let's see what Jesus said about this. Remember when he's with the guys and he says, Hey guys, who do people say that I am? Remember this? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, come back, another one of the prophets. And then who is it that pipes up? Peter. Peter. He says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to Jesus. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. So guess what? Just like this one, that's God's job. Flesh and blood cannot bring spiritual revelation. Only God. But here's what I love about it. I can position myself for it. It's called a quiet time. It's called being at a disciple-making forum time. It's called being in a worship time or a prayer time or in fellowship time. But when you position yourself, when I position myself, my habit tends to be quiet times in the morning. And when I position myself before the Lord, I'm not just there to feed my mind, feed my mind. I'm there to encounter God, the living God, who wants to meet with me. Of all people today, He wants to meet with me. So God, what do you want to say to me as I read my Bible? What do you want to say to me as I pray for people and nations? What do you want to say to me as I wait on you about my day? What do you want to say to me? Do you pursue God out of relationship or out of religion? And so God wants to reveal things. Now, every one of us in this room, if we're a follower of Jesus, we've experienced it at least once, right? Once I was lost, holy smokes, now I'm found. Are you aware when God's trying to reveal something to you? When you're in the Word, when you're in the middle of the day, are you aware? All right, so these are God's job. Look, He's doing the heavy lifting. He's doing the revealing. He's doing the, re the transforming. This is our job. 
Obedience. That's our job. That's all we have to do. And so let me say it this way to you. When God reveals something to you, it's not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. So let's just let's go back to my analogy earlier. Bad relationship with your dad. You're going to go home. You're going to be with him at Christmas. All right, so Lord, I won't have that moment to be with dad for maybe another six weeks, but I'm going to set my heart now for you to show me what you need me to do for my heart to be prepared to deal with my dad. That's right now, setting your heart towards obedience. See, God is looking for people who obey right away. Who obey right away. And you might not be with dad for six weeks, but you can set your heart to say, God, you do in me what needs to be done. So when I show up at that moment, and I'm going to pray, pray, pray. So when, between my heart and my prayers, when I show up in that moment, there's a divine encounter that can happen. And if not this time, because of where dad's at, I'm going to keep praying for next time. But see, it's setting your heart. And I want to ask you, have you set your heart to obey Jesus? This is not just gain knowledge, do it. Gain more knowledge, do it more. It's not that. It's a relationship. And out of our loving relationship, when God puts something on your heart, we're supposed to step out and do it. Let me illustrate this to you. Um, about two years ago now, I was, I was kind of in a pattern of walking about four miles uh, five or six days a week. And I'd get up early, and it was kind of my clear my head, talk to the Lord time. And, and on one of these walks, I, uh, I, was, I, I was coming down a, a street that was probably, you know, like, ten times the length of this room. And as I turned the corner, kind of heading down that street, about where our folks are in the back of the room there, there, were, there was a lady and, and her daughter. She looked to me college age, and, and uh, they were walking. And, and I just acknowledged and said, good morning, and I kept my walking. And about 15, 20 paces from them, I, I heard the Lord put inside, on your way back, I want you to stop and talk with them. I didn't hear it here. I heard it here. And I heard it, you know how the Lord does things? It was at once. I didn't hear it like, I said it. It was just there. And it was like, okay. So I keep walking. I look back a time or two to see if they're still around. I get to the end. I turn around. I come back. I see they're still there, but they're way ahead of me. And I just said, well, Lord, I don't really know what you want me to say. And they're way ahead of me, like 200 yards. So if you want me to do something, I want you to know I'm setting my heart to obey, but they're going to have to be there by the time, because they're walking away from me. But they're walking at a slower pace than I'm. So sure enough, I catch up to them. And I stop and I turn towards them and they turn towards me. I said, hey, I know I said hi to you a moment ago. And, the, and that's all I said. And the girl, the college girl, she has, it was a colder morning. She had her hands around a cup of coffee like this. And she gave it to her mom and she walked up to me and she put her hands on my face. And she says, you don't know this, but last Sunday when I was wrestling with what God was really like because of an issue in my life, you happened to be speaking at our church. And you said exactly what I needed to hear. And I wanted to say thank you for that. And right there we took hands. We prayed over the area in her life and hugged and moved on. And now when I see her at church on Sunday, she always comes up and gives me a big squeeze because there was an encounter we had with Jesus together. Guys, do we chicken out when the Lord prompts us? We say, I want to see the power of God. I want to see the book of Acts alive again. And every church is structured like that. Look, Acts was just a bunch of people loving Jesus and obeying Him. That's all it is. We are, you're never going to see God go, shoo, boom, if we don't step out in obedience. 
The first time I had to pray for somebody, you know, who was sick, I was like, oh, you know, talk about faith less than a mustard seed, all right? And I stepped out and prayed, and God immediately healed. Boom, right? It was like, I'm just, I'm befuddled. Like, how did that happen, you know? But until you step out, because I felt like the Lord, I call it this the nudges of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like this, the Holy Spirit just nudging us. And we've got to learn to cultivate that in in obedience, step out. Because when you step out in obedience, transformation can come. Whether it's in your life or through your life. But without this, it doesn't happen. So, So obedience is the engine of transformation. Okay? Obedience is the engine behind transformation. All right, so so let me just show you this quickly in Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, Abraham father of our faith. He wouldn't be if he didn't obey God. In Genesis 12, he said, I want you to leave your father's house and your land and go to a place you don't know. He could have said, nah, I'm staying home. How about Moses? I I want you to go back into Egypt. No, they don't really like me there. Like, As a matter of fact, do you realize that most of our favorite childhood stories from the Bible are all based out of obedience. If David hadn't obeyed his dad, he wouldn't have been on the front lines to take on Goliath. Jonah, if he didn't obey, oh, he didn't obey. Oh, until the second time, all right? <laughs> but if, if, you think about, if you think about that, whatever, if, if Daniel didn't obey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't obey and stand for God, they would have never been thrown in the fiery furnace and the guy wouldn't have seen him dancing around with who's the fourth guy in there. We have to realize every story that we've admired as little kids, obedience is at the core of it. Think of the Great Commission, teaching them to obey. All discipleship is, is teaching people how to obey Jesus. It's practical. Okay? So you, there's, there's illustrations here that, that you'll see, all right? So obedience in the life of Jesus. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. All right, So that's encouraging to me because if Jesus had to learn obedience, so can I. So can you. We can learn to be people that obey God. All right. And this is another passage that's important for us. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Which means I need to be spending time in prayer. I need to be spending time in the Word. I need good counsel from godly people. Because the way that we're supposed to be doing things is what is God doing? As Henry Blackaby says, look where God's working and join Him in it. So here's a little phrase we use as an organization. What God initiates, He permeates. What we initiate, we have to sustain. Now I want you to think about that. I have a pastor friend of mine who with us, with us as a staff, he was the senior pastor and he said, I want you to go back and think of how every um, aspect of ministry that you're responsible in our church started. He said, I'm asking you to look for two things. Number one, we called it a word of the Lord or an altar point where you say, I met God there. God initiated this. And secondly, there was unity around it. And then he said this. He said, now nobody's going to lose their jobs, but I want you to hear this. He said, if we don't have those two things, we're dropping that area of ministry because God never breathed life on it. We made it up. So this is a scary statement, but I want you to hear this. I cannot find anywhere in Scripture, and I'm not the authority on this, so you're welcome to correct me afterwards, all right? But listen to me. I can't find anywhere in Scripture where we go, I got an idea, and ask God to bless it, and He does. It doesn't work that way. 
We are called followers of Jesus, not just in name only. It's actually what we do. He initiates, we follow. Joshua, walk around the wall. Abraham, leave your father. Moses, go back to Egypt. On and on and on and on it goes. And you're going to find this pattern in Scripture. You don't, you're not supposed to think, what can I do? Oh God, I think I'll glorify you by doing this. That's not how it works. Get your face to the floor, maybe fast a little bit, and say, Jesus, what are you asking of me? Once you know, get up off the floor and go do it. That's how it works. But oftentimes we try to create things and we breathe, try to breathe life into things. Have you ever tried to breathe life into a dead person? We try to breathe life into dead structures. And I think God's saying, Son, Dave, I love you, but trust me, I've been here. I learned this because I've done this. Son, I love you and I appreciate your heart, but I'm not in this. This is a good idea of yours, but I have not breathed life on it. And unless God has breathed life on it, you and I are running around trying to resuscitate something that never had life to begin with. Or we're running around and God's shutting down or or collapsing walls and we're running trying to hold them up and we think it's the devil shutting the walls down. When it actually may be God saying, would you just let me bring this thing to death so that you can move on in obedience? Are you following me? What God initiates, He permeates. What I initiate, I'm the one running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to sustain it. We've got to catch this. It's the ways of God. It's how God works. That's, when I say the ways of God, that's what I mean, how God works. So here's our little process of transformation. Now let me just say this to you. If you're working with somebody and you're trying to get them here to the place of obedience and they're not doing it, pause next time instead of trying, doggone it, why aren't you? Pause, because they may, they may not have seen it yet. So when you're discipling somebody, following the lead of the Holy Spirit, don't try to conform them into obedience. That's not your job. Just go back and say, Lord, obviously they're not seeing this yet. So I'm going to pray that you'd reveal this to them. Because people have a hard time obeying something they haven't seen. Okay. Now once they see it, then in between here and these two dots is either obedience or disobedience. By the way, between here and here, between obedience and transformation is a thing called trust. There are some places right now in my life where I know I'm walking in obedience, but I haven't seen the transformation yet, whether in me or through me. That's where we have to trust the Lord with half our heart, right, Proverbs 3? Trust the Lord with all your heart. And part of it is the Lord tests us to see, do you trust me with half or all your heart? Because we always have credit cards. Let's close in prayer, all right? So let me just give you three quick practical things here. And then, I, and then we'll just open the last 15, 20 minutes up here for questions. The Holy Spirit as disciple-making guide, the what? All right, We've talked about how He brings the presence, likeness, and power of Jesus into the life of disciples. He guides via the revel- revelation, obedience, transformation process. That's how He guides us. So when you're discipling someone, that's what you want to pay most attention to. It's not, doggone it, do they get the curriculum and the 25 memory verses? That's all good. But the main thing you're focusing on is, hey, what did you feel like the Lord showed you? Well, He showed me I need to go back and make stuff right with my husband. Okay, so next time you're together with Him, that's where you're checking up. So how's that going? And it's not Gestapo, did you do it? It's, how's that going? Because I've been praying for you for the last seven days as your disciple maker, without you saying that. See? And then there's three things I just want to say to you that we shape people around. That I, I believe the Holy Spirit, when He's working in someone's life, of course, based on the Scriptures, 
But there's three things he wants to shape in people. The first thing is the character of God. He wants his disciples to look more like Jesus. Kind like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. Truth-filled like Jesus. Whatever, fill in the blank. But are you discipling people so that at the end of the year, their spouse might say to you as the disciple, thank you for doing this. My spouse looks more like Jesus because they've been with you. Okay, or whatever the case may be. But one of the things you want to focus people on is discipling them in the character of God, which means you need to know the character of God. You need to dive in and say, God, show me who you are. One of the ways it's helped me is I took a purple pencil and as I read through my Bible, I've highlighted every name, title, attribute of God's character in my Bible. So when I open it, his character screams at me. Okay, it's not just discipling them in knowledge. It's discipling them to become looking like Jesus. Secondly, you want to disciple them in the ways of God, how God does things. You guys know this. For example, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must become the greatest servant. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want grace to flow in your life and your relationships, you need to walk in humility. Okay? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to become the best servant. It's like that's the ways of God. The ways of God is how God does stuff. And so it's kind of like popping the hood and understanding underneath. It's like, it's interesting to me in Psalm, I believe it's 103, it says Moses, or, or that Israel knew his deeds, Moses knew his ways. It's like God popped the hood for Moses to say, see, this is how I work. And oftentimes we're just satisfied, not that we shouldn't rejoice in his works, of course we could, but we also say, come on, closer, I want to show you why I did that, how I did that. Because then you have something in your life that you can pass on to someone else. Are you shaping people in the ways of God, how God does things? Like in relationships, are you discipling them how to forgive so they can be free and the person that they haven't forgiven? All right? And then the third thing is we disciple them in the mission of Jesus, how and with whom we advance the kingdom. All right? So shaping them in the character of God, the ways of God, and in the mission of God. Here's your role on the team. Helping them discover their gifts. And you know how that takes a while. Think of how long it took you to find your stride. And some of you are saying, I still ain't there. All right? But to find your stride in the Lord based on your gifts. Okay? So the Holy Spirit helps us with that. How about this one? The who. Like, who am I supposed to disciple? This is where we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. So here's a couple things to help you. My friend David Shirk taught me this many, many years ago, and I've owned it as my own since then. But here's a question that he told me to ask. In whose ears are your words big? Okay, let me say that again. In whose ears are your words big? In other words, they have weight. I want you, that's, a, that's your number one starting place of who am I to disciple. Because if your words aren't big in someone's ears, they're not really going to hear you. And you might say, well, somebody, my words are big, but I don't really like them. That's not what we're after here. We're after who you to pour into. All right? Or I hear people say, well, that's nice, but, you know, I think if I could disciple Garth Brooks, imagine the kingdom impact. That's, that's not your call. That's the Holy Spirit's call. But I want you to notice something. When your words are big in someone's ears, which usually means something like this, when they hear you, they take it in. They may come back for more. And they may do it again. When you see your words have weight, that's like if I could say, here, put on spiritual glasses right now, and you were to put them on and kind of drop them down, it's like you'd see the Holy Spirit's little hand, so it'd be going like this. This one, right here. Right here. When your words are big in someone's ears, you need to call time out and at least acknowledge, God, are you asking me to invest in this person? So that's your first step. Secondly, discern those who are fast. 
And I just use that to, for my 58-year-old brain to remember faithful, available, servant-hearted, and teachable. That's what I look for. Faithful means if they say they're in, they're in. They're not wishy-washy. Available means they're actually getting it on their calendar. I had a pastor one time say to me, if, if someone doesn't have it on their calendar, it's actually discipleship ain't actually happened. Servant-hearted is an attitude that I know that they're going to receive and pass on because they're servants. And teachable is, speaks for itself. You don't every time you say, oh yeah, I knew that. There's a teachability. Okay? And so these are things I look for. And to be honest, you guys, I will be anybody's friend. I will pray with anybody. I may even teach them, but I'm not going to disciple them. I want you to catch this. Jesus, when the rich young ruler said, no, I ain't doing that, Jesus didn't chase him down and said, I'm just kidding. You don't have to sell all of your stuff. Just, you can come anyway. He didn't do that. We lower the bar so low. With people who, who don't do that, I've actually I've had to develop in my life, how do I release people from a group who aren't, who aren't being faithful? Because it's not, it's not honoring to those that are. And most time people are paying attention to those that aren't there versus the five that are there saying, I want to learn. And you're chasing that one or two. And this is not a shepherd hat. This is a disciple hat. When I have my shepherd pastor hat, then I will leave and I'll go chase that one or two. But when you're discipling, that's a different hat. Focus on the hungry of heart in front of you. And so I've had to let people down gently and say, look, I can tell you haven't made the last three times. I just want you to know I'm not sending you the emails about the group anymore because I don't want you to feel like guilty and I don't want our relationship to be hindered. So I'm just releasing you from the group. Whenever you want back in, it's your call. You're in. I just need to know that you're in like you're supposed to be in. I love you. And I do that because when they see me, I don't want them to be doing this number. Hi, Dave. I want the relationship to be maintained. But I'm not going to fool with this thing. So when you're, when you're asking someone to be a, a disciple, here's the question you have to ask up front. Are you willing to match my commitment? Darren was a part of a group. We had uh, four or five young African-American men that said, I really desire, Dave, for you to disciple me. And I said, well, let's make a deal. Uh, because they kept saying to me, this was their words, in our black churches, we don't have disciple-making patterns. I said, well, let me pour into you, then you go do this. You go do this. And so we begin to jump into this together. Well, there was six, seven of us, a couple of us white guys, black guys. It was a great group, fun, fun group. But the reality is, is I asked the question because it was, I do a lot of discipling via Zoom. Do you guys know what Zoom is? It's kind of like Skype, all right? Because it's not everybody's here that I'm discipling. And so they said, well, how about we do it at uh, 6.30 a.m. East Coast time? Well, that's 5.30 here. 5.30 a.m. <laughs> Well, I'm an early bird, but I said this to them. Are you willing to match my commitment? Because I will be there every Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m. Or every other, whatever it was. I will be there. And I looked them all in the eye and said, will you be there? Because I don't want to be looking. I got mirrors in my house to look at myself. I don't need to be doing that on my computer. And one of the things you need to ask people up front is, are you willing to match my commitment? And if they, if they say, ah, just say, you know what, it's okay. Let them down gently. Just say, it's okay. Maybe next round. Or it's say, hey, take another week and pray about it. Whatever you need to do. But when you enter into a discipleship group, if you don't ask these questions up front, you will be severely disappointed. It's one of the greatest heartaches of my soul. Because I ask these questions and people still. Now it's thinned out since I've started asking these questions years ago. But it's one of the most heartbreaking things for when someone's all excited about Jesus and they want to grow, but then they get caught up in the distractions of life and they fade away. But it does me no good 
I'll challenge them once. Say, dude, are you sure? Because I thought you said to me, you, Jesus showed you in a prayer time you were to do this. And you asked me to hold you accountable. Yeah, but I'm just, it's like, okay, I love you. Pray for them on the way out there. Whenever you want in, you can be back in anytime you want, but you know what the commitment is. Are you guys tracking with me? That's key to disciple making. Okay? And obviously, Jesus spent the entire night in prayer before he chose his 12. So that's kind of a bit of a process for you in choosing. This is my last slide. So your aim is following the lead of the Holy Spirit and shaping disciples of Jesus around his character, ways, and mission. The whole focal point is teaching them to obey Jesus by referencing that process of transformation. That's really what your aim is. All right? It's, uh, it's this, the, the process of revelation. Obedience. That's all. What has God shown you? How can I come alongside you? How can I help you obey that in your life? Okay? Learn to listen well and guide disciples into obeying Jesus. Be a good listener. Here's the way I look at it. When you're, like we use a tool called Discipleship Journey. Every, everybody here has got a tool or most groups. So this is our tool. We've used this now for 13 years. It's, it's a dozen topics where you marinate in one for a month. So over a year. So when, when we use this tool, it's like, okay, so... Um, They've gone through this thing, and it's learning to listen. So I'm assuming, because they've been in this tons of Scripture that they're looking up and all that kind of thing. But then when we meet and I say, what, here's the two questions we ask. And it's this simple. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you this week as you've been in this with the Word? And what, they, what comes out of their mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because they've been in truth and pursuing it. What comes out of their mouth? That's the Holy Spirit's way of saying, see, Dave, that's what I'm doing in them. And have you ever noticed if you follow the Lord well, like in a group like that? So I've been in groups where there's eight different people and I asked that question. They went through the same material and it's eight different things. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's dealing with them personally. And when you pay attention to that, that's the Holy Spirit saying, Dave, that's what I'm doing in them. That's what I'm doing in that one. Oh, oh. Then I know how as a guide to come alongside and encourage them to obey. Are you following me? Okay, it's it's that simple. All right. By the way, if you don't have a tool, as I was just showing this, John Tolson, who's a guy who's discipled men for many, many years, told me back in 2010, he said, Dave, do you know the number one reason why people don't make disciples? And so I was teed up really well. I said, what? And he said, it's not a big spiritual thing. I was waiting for some, you know, heavy thing. He said, it's because they don't have a tool along with their Bible that they've been discipled in, that then when they were asked to make disciples, they feel comfortable enough actually doing it. That's one of the reasons we have the tool that we have. It's been something we've used now for well over a decade in some different parts of the world. And if you're interested in that, you go to our Lion's Share booth and you can take a look at that. Um, but, but you need a tool. You need a tool, all right? The, your Bible is the centerpiece, but it's a tool to help people learn how to apply that stuff into their lives. Okay? So let's just do a little bit of this. We've got 15 minutes, and then we'll, we'll let you loose on a break. And if we're done early, we're done early, all right? Questions? Yes, ma'am. My transformation lady back there. <laughs> the um, difference between discipleship and mentorship. The difference between discipleship and mentorship. So for me, when I think about discipleship, it's attached uh, um, specifically to Jesus, which means there's a way to help people grow spiritually in the things of God. Mentorship to me could be a lot of things. Like my wife, Cheryl Honeywave, back there. That's holes in cheeks back there. I told you about her. All right. So Cheryl, one day, she came to me and she said she had been pouring into three ladies' lives, young ladies, uh, millennial types, and Thanksgiving was coming, and she said to them, do any of you guys know how to bake a pie? 
they all looked at her like, no. And that's kind of a lost art, all right? And so Cheryl makes the most awesome worship Jesus right now, Dutch apple pie, all right? And so Cheryl has them over to the house, and she's mentoring them. That's not discipleship. That's mentoring. Mentoring can often be skill sets. Mentoring can be experiences. It can be knowledge that can be passed on. But discipling specifically has to do with things that are attached directly to the kingdom. So can, I, can Darren, who used to be a government leader, used to work in the White House, could Darren disciple somebody in government? Yes, he could. Because he's walking alongside discipling them in the ways of God as it relates to being a governing leader. So mentoring, I think, is a broader term. Discipleship would be a more focused term. Is that helpful? Okay, good question. Yes? That's a great question. You're asking me to confess my sins, aren't you? Um, So there's a friend of mine by the name of Winky Prattney. Some of you may know that name. He's from New Zealand. And Winky called me one day and he said, Dave, I've been reading uh, in uh, the Garden of Eden story afresh, you know, and asking God for fresh eyes through it. And he said, you know, it's really interesting because I noticed that since the garden, there's this thing we're all trapped in. He said, it's called control. And I think um, for me, Um, You know, it can be controlling something. I'm not a control freak at all, but it could be controlling to make something happen my way or control it because it's my idea. Um, And so that's an area that it's more for me, language I use is palms up and open. You know, it's um, as we see in Philippians chapter two, Jesus didn't grasp, but there was a palms up and open, you know, thing. And so for me, that's something I've had to learn. And it's been times, you guys, where I've been actually doing things in my life. And the Lord said, it's time for you to let go of that. I want you to do something else. And it's a painful process. But I know I'm obeying. And because I'm obeying, grace is there. And then when I get to the other side, it's like, oh, now I see what you're doing. Like Cheryl and I, we met married as YWAMers and Youth of the Mission. And after seven years as missionaries, when we married, I thought we'd be missionaries for the rest of our life. The Lord had us move back to Minnesota where he got involved in a local church. And I've been serving in local churches ever since. And the Lord just said, you need to let go of this because I want to show you something else. But my missions experience has informed my whole journey. All right. So God said, I'm giving you a foundation of the nations, but I want you to pastor, you know, in, in the settings that he's put me in. So it's, it's things like that. It's, and you guys, it could be sin areas. You know, l- let me just say this to us in case there's anybody wrestling, you know, in these kinds of things. It's like when the... Holy Spirit is showing you something. Don't keep, we have, this is the habit, we shove it down. Especially if it's self-revealing. Those of you that are pastors in this room, there was a, a man who was a pastor in a particular area of Canada. It was one of the largest churches in the nation. And this was in the 1980s. And um, I was working in my office in San Jose when they were mobilizing short-term teams into Russia at the time. And um, when, you know, that all opened up in the early 90s. And Someone came to me and said, hey, did you hear so-and-so, the pastor's name, did you hear that uh, he resigned? And it was like, what? He said, yeah, he resigned. I said, well, what happened? They said he had a homosexual relationship. And I went, what? What? And I know this guy. He's he's my age now, then. He was 57, 58. What? Well, he walks through a process of restoration. I don't hear or see from this guy, but about a year later, he's he's in our offices of our organization. So I do this, and he comes in, I give him a hug, and... And I'm half his age at the time. I was about 28, 29. And I called him by name and I said, hey, I'm, I'm half your age. And he knew where I was going. He said, no, don't worry, Dave. You can ask whatever you want. So I said, like, what happened? 
Because you know the enemy likes to wait till we're at the apex of influence so that the collateral damage on Jesus' name and people is worse. And that's what he said. But here's what he said behind it. He said, Dave, I was raped as a junior high boy. And the Lord gave me many opportunities to deal with it, and I didn't. And in a very vulnerable moment. Can I just tell you something? If you are dealing with untended emotional woundings, you will not finish well unless you deal with them. You will not finish well. I don't care how strong you think you are, how good you can hide it. If there are just things going on in your life that the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works, He's like, trying to push it to the top, and you're going, trying to push it down. I'm just saying to you, as soon as this conference is done, I want to encourage you to go to somebody and say, hey, I, I just need you to really speak into my life in this particular area because it will take you out. The Holy Spirit, why is He surfacing it? Yes, it, was it forgiven at the cross? Yes, but He also wants to deal with your wholeness. And so I just want to say that to you, and I say that to you with great love and affection for you because I've been on the end of that in people being in my arms who didn't deal with that. So I just want to challenge you. That's the Holy Spirit loving you. To say, I want you to be free. I don't want there to be a place where when the enemy just wants you can like a fishing rod, throw it like this and kind of do this and just... Some of you can't do certain things because it's like that's off limits because that's going to touch that area. We've got to be willing to go there. Don't let there be untended emotional woundings. When the Holy Spirit's pushing up to the top, yield. Go to somebody you trust and say, man, I'm nervous as can be, but I just need to tell you this because I know I'm not going to make it if I don't deal with this in my life. Yeah. That's a great question. That's an excellent question. Is it okay if I use my own life as an example? So for me in my life, I have several circles in my life. Um, one of the guys that I bounce things off as I was just with, he's actually on our board, but he's, he's 72, so he's 14 years my senior. And so I've known him, though, since I was 20, and so I've known him for 38 years. His name is Dan. And Dan's one of the guys that I can go to. And we, because of speaking at some similar things around the country, we often have times together. And I'm able to say, hey, Dan, kind of wrestling with this thing in my life. Um, I like pursuing spiritual fathers. I was a bit of a, I don't know what you would call it, but when I had spiritual fathers in my life as a young guy, I would pursue them. Because inside it was like, you've got something I want when I'm your age. And I would pursue them. And I still like to do that. Like today, I was trying to get up to visit with Dr. Coleman. It's like, Dr. Coleman, why would I want to not go talk to him? You know, but 700 people are already in front of me, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I want to encourage you to look for people that are older than you. So that's, that's one layer. A second one is I have three friends, Jim, Dan, and Bruce, who we have met for 12 years now once a month. And sometimes it ends up being six weeks, but as a norm, once a month. And we know each other's lives inside and out. In person? In person. Yeah, face-to-face over breakfast. And we quick, you know, it's, it's three guys, four guys, so we're mucking up and trashing each other and having fun. But then when we get to the, you know, one of us will start saying, so Jimmy, how you doing? Or Brucey, how you doing? Or Dave, how you doing? And we, we get there. And it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, is not just how's the job. It can be, Dave, how's your marriage? Dave, how's your finances? Dave, you know, are you being faithful to what God's put in front of you? Or if they see me getting out of line, they will lovingly say to me, hey, Dave, are you really sure you're supposed to be doing that? And so we do that for each other. So there's a peer piece uh, that I think you can be really deliberate in. You have to know who's got your back. It's really important as a follower of Jesus, who's got my back, not just meaning to protect me, but to protect me from myself. Okay, I have a team. I, I, I love Darren and Sonia, and both of them are, 
are loving truth tellers. If they saw me getting out to lunch, they would tell me. All right, I have a wife back there who knows me better than anyone. And if she just looks at me and says, Dave, it's like, yes, honey. You know, she's usually seeing something, all right? And I had to learn that her words need to be very big in my ears. A little side note here. I know this isn't marriage class, but let me just say this to you. The, lo- the loudest voice of God in your life next to God is your wife. It's not your pastor. It's not Billy Graham. It's not your team leader. It's your spouse. So do you receive the words from your spouse as coming from God? I've learned in my family, I tend to be the one that has vision for stuff. Like, okay, I think this is what's next. God always uses Cheryl as the governor of timing. And guys, you know, if you ever try, come on, woman, jump on the way, let's ride. That just doesn't work real well. (laughs) So I've had to learn that when Cheryl looks at me, like, it's a long story, but I'm going to give you the 30-second version. I felt like we should move about five years ago, but we we always, we have an, we walk in agreement. If we're not in agreement as a couple, we just don't do it. So I said to Cheryl, she said, well, I'm open to that. I'm just not there. Put it on the back burner. A year and a half ago, Cheryl said, I think there's something to that now. So three years have gone by. I think, so we pray. We have prayer retreats twice a year. We go and seek the Lord. And at one of our prayer retreats, we're in Annapolis, Maryland. We said, Lord, are you asking us to move? This is last summer, June of a year ago, a year and a half ago now. And we felt like just in listening to the Lord, the Lord said, Cheryl said, I felt like the Lord said, put our house up for sale in June. I said, well, I felt like we were to move in the summer. So literally, you guys, May 6th, we put our home up for sale. Sold in 12 days. We moved September 11th, the end of the summer. So we've just been in our place two months. I had, I had the vision, God used her on the timing. So you have to realize, you've got to walk in agreement. So can I just encourage you before you go to bed tonight, couples, if you're out of alignment in this, look at each other, both of you, and just say, honey, I'm really sorry. I, your words have not been big in my ears like they're supposed to be. Because God made you one. And that's part of your discipleship process is your marriage. Because your spouse knows, or let's say this, the Holy Spirit knows how to use your spouse to do a little of this. All right. Okay, we got three minutes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, let, let me, that's excellent. Let me, let me just close by sharing two things with you on this. That, thank you for sharing that. So when I'm about, it was either 19 or 20 years of age, Darlene Cunningham, who is the founders, Lauren Cunningham's wife, founder of YWAM, she saw that I was a disciple maker early on. And she pulled me aside and she gave me some of the greatest advice that anybody's ever given me. And she said this, She said, Dave, only speak into people's lives in the categories that they've invited you in. But see, guys, we have a problem in our culture right now where we just think we can speak into anybody's life anytime about anything. And she said, if you just speak into the life in the area where they've invited you in, they will invite you in again. If it worked. And then again and again. And and she said this to me, and I never dreamed it possible, but I, I don't know how many people have said this to me, so I can't tell you that number. But now, she said, Dave, sometime they will say this to you. Dave, you have the authority to speak into my life anytime, anywhere, about anything. But you have to earn that. Okay? And then the last thing I want to share this is about being adult parents. When our daughter, our daughter has been married twice. Her first marriage fell apart. And when she was involved in that first marriage, I, I was asking the Lord. Uh, it was right before her wedding, and I was traveling, and I was speaking, and I said, Lord... I don't want to be like helicopter parent. I don't want to be pain in the rear end father-in-law. How do we function as adult parents? And it was like the Lord gave me, so let me just use this like a picture of a frame. So just see the, the black as the frame. And this is kind of us living our life and relationship in here, all right? And the Lord gave me several things. The first one is he said, um, um, 
continue to make sure that they know they're loved, that they, they know they're loved unconditionally. Okay. Then the second one that kind of came down this side was continue to model for them what godly obedience looks like. Just model it in how you live. Love them well, model obedience to God. The third one down here was, which we've had fun with, look for ways to serve their dreams. Not your dreams for them, their dreams. So Cheryl and I, had a, we have had a timeshare out of Gatlinburg over the years. And when Ryan was getting married, he came to me and said, he was born in Hawaii when we were with YWAM. And he said, Kendall, I'd like to take Kendall to Hawaii for our honeymoon. He's trying to think how to do that. So I went to Cheryl and said, well, what if we give them our timeshare? And so we paid the transfer fee. So they got a $2,000 gift where we just had to pay like the $150 transfer fee. And they got to spend a week in, well, on a 1 to 10, that was a 15 to them. Look for ways to serve their dreams. And the last one was pray by doing spiritual warfare on their behalf. In other words, climb the mountain or the hill and say, oh, I see where the enemy's trying to mess with their life and, and begin in prayer to take those things out. Now, Cheryl looks at me and goes, that sounds good, but I'm saying to the Lord this, Lord, there's something missing. Where's the fifth one? I'm supposed to give my advice at all times. <laughs> it's not on there. So Cheryl and I have made a commitment to each other that we will not give our kids advice except for two situations. Number one, they ask for it, which often I'd say three, four, five times a year they'll ask. It's a great day when they ask. Or when the Holy Spirit shows one of us where to do it and the other confirms. And can I tell you, that happens about once out of a hundred times. Because Cheryl will say, honey, I think you need to talk to Ryan about it. I'll go, mm-mm. Or I'll say, sweetheart, I got to talk to Malia about it. She'll go, mm-mm. And you know what? It's kept our relationship with our kids awesome. 33, 31, they're both married. One has two of our grandkids. The other has one on the way in March. And I just want to encourage you, walk in the ways of God in that. It's like someone told us once, remember when your kids are married, you want to be invited onto their island. And the only way that happens is by guarding your relationship with them. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our guide. As we've talked much about the ways of God today, would you help these things land in us as we pass this on to others? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as you head out the door, would you let my team just give you one of these? Maybe Darren can help so that you guys can have a little information on what we do in case you want to contact us, okay? Yeah, and can, can I give you, thank you. Can you get that for me? Hey, and can I give you a gift? This is a gift. So 10 years ago, next summer, we, ha we hosted six spiritual fathers. Henry Blackaby, Jack Hayford, Lloyd Ogilvie, Lauren Cunningham, John Perkins, and Winky Prattney. And we had a conversation with them at the Cove, Billy Graham's Training Center. And we'd like to give you this as a gift. And it is an incredible series called Wisdom for Difficult Times. It's, it's uh, six 30-minute yeah, sessions. If you go to our, uh, oh no, do we have them here? Okay, right at the door here. See, Sonia, all we need is your name and email address, and you just need to pay shipping. That's it. It's coming from Connecticut. But the, the value of this is $49.95, so we just want to give that to you, you as our gift. All right? Thanks for coming. Come back and hear Sonia on Dozen Domains. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. The message you heard was from LionShare's track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Make sure to download the free PDF called The Process of Transformation. Download this at discipleship.org slash lionshare. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.